Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. So excited you're here. So excited you're here. You look good. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, you look good this morning. I hope that was too awkward. I hope that wasn't too awkward. I helped some of y'all out. I'm saying, helped some of y'all out for a little bit later. So exciting to be with you today. I send, uh, uh, I bring greetings from Dr. Doug Witherup, who is enjoying a much needed vacation. Um, we needed it from him as much as he needed it for us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we love you. We love you, Doug. Um, and they shall be returning this week. And it has been a crazy six weeks for Jess and I and my family. Um, for those of you who are not aware, we have stepped into a season where we have accepted uh, the lead pastor role at Center City in Charlotte, as Pastor uh, Stephen had mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, we're really excited. It's okay. Somebody wanted to clap, and I just, just want to affirm that, like it's okay to clap. No, it's a little weird. No, it's all right. God's in the middle of it. And um, what's exciting is um, this morning I get to or today I get to greet several different churches. Uh, I get to greet those in Davidson that are watching um, in, in service or on Monday night. Uh, I get to greet those in Team Challenge, our Team Challenge ministry, Sand Hill, Kannapolis. Uh, I get to greet those who are watching on the, uh, via the online community, which is absolutely incredible. Um, I get to greet some of uh, our new Center City folk who are maybe watching on a Monday afternoon because uh, you want to hear your new pastor preach. I promise you can get tired of my voice, but thanks for tuning in anyway. Um, it's incredible what God is building here through the generosity not only of this church, but what God is doing collectively. I, I'm enamored with capital C church, like Church Universal. Like I know it's really popular and cool now to pick on the church and to kind of make fun of the church and point out all the church's flaws. And because there's people in the church, it's real easy. Like, because people are the church, it's real easy to pick out on our flaws. And we've actually gotten really good at it. But when you read scripture, the way that God kind of talks about the church is he talks about it as his bride. Now, I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of things I'll let you get away with. But you ain't talking about my bride like that. Like, the beauty, have, have you ever, like, seen an ugly bride? Like, that's, that's a rarity, right? Like, and even if she is, you don't tell her husband. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, like, within the context, just for a moment, if God d d decided to define the church by anything, and yet what he calls us is his bride. With all of our imperfections and all of our issues, he decides to look at the beauty of who we are and define us by the beauty. Like, ladies, like, let's just be honest. Like, the wedding day is one of the most beautiful days that you'll ever, like, you put time, money, investment into hair and makeup. You ain't doing that on a Thursday for a staff meeting, <laughs> right? Like... This one moment, God defines his church in the beauty of this absolute one moment. And I think if we get a better view of the church, we will see the same beauty he sees. In the writing of Peter, Peter starts trying to outline what the church would look like in 1 Peter 
chapter 2, if you have your Bible, and uh, verse, verse 4, we're going to kind of move down a little bit to verse 4. says, as you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. So here Peter is talking about the, the temple of God, and he begins the conversation with Jesus as the living cornerstone. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. He said he has been rejected by people, but he was chosen uh, 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 for God for great honor, by God for great honor, verse 5. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What more? You are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. To see the beauty of the church, Peter begins by talking about the cornerstone that is Jesus. The cornerstone that is Jesus. Here's a quick definition of what a cornerstone is, because if you're like me, you've never built anything. You don't know what a cornerstone is. I mean, we've, we kind of have sang songs about the cornerstone, right? My grandparents have their cornerstone song that they sang when they were in church. My parents have their cornerstone song that they sang. I have my cornerstone song that I sang in church. I'm sure the teenagers in the room know a song that, I don't know, Jesus culture wrote about a cornerstone or something. Like, we all have our cornerstones, but really, here, here's what it is. This is what uh, the definition of a cornerstone is. Number one, it's an important quality or feature in which a particular thing's depend on or is based. And then the second definition, which is probably more original to the context of this passage, a stone that forms the base or corner of the building joining two walls. The cornerstone in the building world, it, it serves as reference for what it means to be level, what it means to be right. If your cornerstone is off, the whole building has a, a tendency of being off. If your cornerstone off is off just by a fraction of a degree, by the time it gets to five feet from the cornerstone, that fraction of the degree is multiplied. Some of the engineers in the room are like shaking their heads at me. By the time you get to 20 feet and 50 feet, that, that, that small fraction is multiplied hundreds of times over. So it is critical that that cornerstone is completely level and right. The beauty of the church is that God decided that when culture needed this amazing kind of institution that he calls the church, this collection of people of brokenness, he starts with this cornerstone that all of it needs to be laid right by. And he says that Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Verse 7 says this. Yes, You've come, uh, you, you trust him, recognize and honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Why would builders reject Jesus as the cornerstone? So to understand this, you've got to understand the process. So builders would sit in these stone quarries and try to figure out what stone showed promise to be the most level. And what this metaphor paints is a people, a, a generation of people during Jesus' time that saw Jesus and said there's something about him that we can't trust that makes him level and right. So they rejected him. Can we fast forward a couple thousand years? There's some people in your neighborhoods, in your jobs, some people maybe even in this room that struggle a little bit, like they understand the concept of God, but to say that Jesus, who was flesh and blown and walking among us, is, a, is, is a, the representation of God and is what's level and right, we struggle with a little bit. And many times the struggling is because of his humanity. 
It's tough. People, people have a really tough time, specifically back then, to think Jesus, you know, the, the, the carpenter's son, Mary's son. That, that, you mean that weird guy who walks around with 12 people and just kind of has no place to put his head? Like that guy, you're telling me that he is the level, he is what's right, that the way that he lived was exactly how I should live, like I should base my, line on, my life on that guy? But yet what's crazy is because of the love and, and the grace of God, actually Hebrew says it like this, he's the perfect cornerstone. It says this, that this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. B because God chose Jesus to come and be man, he lived as we lived. For he faced all the same testings we did, we do, yet he did not sin. So the humanity they rejected him for is the exact thing that God was saying, no, you don't understand. I made him man so that you could know that there was a way to live right. The thing they rejected him for was the exact reason that makes him the perfect level. I've been doing a little bit of work around my house, I've, uh, um, and I'm just telling you from time to time, um, I have an old fat, like a regular level, not old-fashioned, it's just a level, and it's a really long one. But there's times where I can't get it into the closet that I'm working on. So has anybody started using a level on their iPhone? Just raise your hand. It's okay. It doesn't make you less of a man because you use a level <laughs> iPhone. Here's my question. Do you trust it? Honestly. Like this just that again? Is there like a little tinge in you that's like... <laughs> It's perfectly level on the iPhone. And you get like a Facebook notification, throws it all off. Like, <laughs> you got to trust your level. If we're going to build a church, if we're going to see the church as this beautiful picture that God, that, that God defines as his bride, we got to trust the level. You got to be willing to trust the level. And what God is saying through, through the writings of Peter here is although humanity's rejected him because they couldn't see past his humanity, it is this God's humanity that totally makes him the perfect level by which we are to build our church and our lives, one another. But today it seems like um, everybody would want to tell you like what a better level could be. Like culture as a whole, we... We base our level on what people say. Even and I was studying this for like last couple of weeks. The Lord has kind of put this picture in my head of, of, of a young lady waking up every morning. And, and, and when you see yourself in the mirror, what you see is words that, that an ex-relationship has spoken into you. You've allowed the image of yourself to be set on a level that, that he's defined. We have a tendency of living life leveled on what people say. We have a tendency of changing the way we think, changing the way we live, changing our perspectives based on the level of what someone that we trust or love says. What happens when what they say changes? When that I love you and I'll, I'll die for you and I'll live my whole life for you turns around and it becomes, you know what, we're just, we're drifting apart. I don't love you like I used to. That Maybe, maybe it's ir irreconcilable. Maybe we need to split. Well, when your life is based on that level, when your life is based on not just the level of what people said, but the level of the media we consume. Can I just tell you, I, 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 the, the young generation of church in this room, can, I, can for a moment, can we, have a, can we just have a heart-to-heart? -heart? I think I will always feel like your perpetual youth pastor. You might be 25 and 30 years old, and I still feel like your youth pastor. 
But can we have a moment? If we're spending more time influenced by the media we consume than the word that we know, then, then what, we're, what we're consumed with, with media and what media is saying, and I'm not just talking about news media, I'm talking about popular culture as a whole, and what was once taboo be, be, because, you know, I don't know, somebody read the Bible and the Bible actually says that that probably shouldn't be happening. It seems like culture wants to, it's, it's, it's uh, eroding at the very core of the level of what we believe. If we're not solidified on who we know Jesus is and what he says as it pertains to how we live life, we are su su uh, suspect and, 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 and the winds of culture continue to shift and change, our, our buildings crumble, our lives crumble. It's not just in what people say, not just media that we consume, but a lot of times we base our level on past relationship. Ultimately, the most dangerous level is the level of our emotions. And can I, can I just tell you that this level is the one that the enemy is trying to consume a generation with, that you're your own level. And you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I believe you, Pastor John. How many times is the popular thought now, you, you do what's right based on what you feel, right? So our feelings become the ultimate judge. So now we got people making career choices based off a of feeling. They're making life choices based off of a feeling, educational choices based off of a feeling. The way that we interact and engage with God, I can't tell you how many conversations start with concepts like, hey, I just feel like if, if God allows this to happen, I just feel like what kind of God is that? Well, again, your level is your emotion. And I'm just going to tell you there's a lot of things you can be really good at. You make a horrible cornerstone. You make an absolutely horrible cornerstone. Because of the flex, the, 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 the nature of our emotions to move and change. Like God knew that we couldn't be a cornerstone. So he, he sent Jesus that we would have a level cornerstone. But then, John, where do we fit in? I'm glad you asked. That is a great question. That is a great question. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Peter answers it when he says this. He says, you are living stones. That God is building into a spiritual temple what is more... You're a holy priest. Through the, media, uh, the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that pleases God. Peter calls us living stones. You and I are living stones. And it's a beautiful picture he paints. We collectively become the dwelling place of God. That you and I somehow, I don't get this, this messes me up, that you and I in our brokenness and our humanity, that God decides that in the middle of culture where culture needs God, he chooses you and I to be the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. It's a beautiful picture. I don't know about you, but, 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 but if, if you're asking me what's inside me and what, what, what this, this vessel is worthy of containing, God is not my first answer. And yet, for some reason, when you and I link arms, this picture says that we become the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. We probably should walk a little bit different then. When you start seeing the light of the, the, the church in this light, when you see the image of the church in this light, I don't know about you, but I get excited and think, oh, that's where the beauty comes from. It's not an issue of external. It's what we hold inside. It's not about the way we look. It's what's coming out of us. That I don't know why, but God chooses you and I to be the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. That when humanity needs God, that he invests in you and me. It's crazy. It's crazy. He goes on to, to say this. He's the, 
Not, not only that, but he is the mediation between God and man. And then we serve as connecting the, the people who connect God to the mediation. So in essence, he's saying that you and I are responsible for, for helping bridge that gap between God and man. It's crazy. I don't know if that messes y'all up like it messes me up. But I, I, in my head, I'm starting to think, wow, wow that's, that seems like a crazy job description. And here's my problem. Ultimately, what the heck is a living stone? I don't even know what a living stone is. Like, this is where this metaphor gets a little crazy, doesn't it? Like, I understand the stone, but the reason stones make such good building material is they don't move. <laughs> if it's living, that means it breathes, and, like, you don't want to build buildings with things that move. I, just for a moment, I mean, if you're really having a hard time getting your mind around this, uh, just spend a couple days with a teenager, right? Like... To see the movement of a teenager emotionally. Like, now this isn't all teenagers. I love teenagers again, but, you know, Tommy loves me. He sent me a letter. With, he Snapchatted me. We don't do letters. And he Snapchatted me a picture of him this morning, and it said, I love you. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to go to school. It's so amazing. I'm so in love. They come back at 3 o'clock. Tommy sat with Cindy at lunch, and I don't know what to do. My life is over. Why is so unfair? I wish I was dead. Like, what? What? What just, what, just hap what just happened? And I know it sounds bad. You're like, John, why are you picking on teenagers? Well, because what I've learned is teenagers now become adults who cover up all the emotional instability because we don't know how to handle it. So we don't know how to handle it. And instead of teaching our teenagers how to handle it, what we teach them is maturation, is covering up the emotion. That's why anxiety is sweeping the way that it is. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going on a little tangent here. But it shows you why I wouldn't choose to build with living stones. And yet God does. And then when I read this passage, what I start thinking is, God, that's a bad choice. Can I just tell you, when you start thinking that God made a mistake, you're reading your Bible wrong. He doesn't make mistakes. There's something you're not seeing. So I started kind of researching a little bit about buildings this week. And I, I found something actually pretty impressive that I think paints a beautiful picture of the, uh, uh, of the church. There's this new phenomenon happening in major metropolitan areas. They call them super slim buildings. Have you seen these things? Here's one in Manhattan that just went up. This is 432 Park Avenue. Um, this is a 1,400 feet tall building. Uh, right about here, you can get a 1,700 square foot condo right at about 13 million. So if anybody wants to start CFA Manhattan, I'm just saying. <laughs> saying right about here j-lo hers is for sale right now she's up here in the 95 91 and 96 it's like 47 million just shy of 2200 square feet something like that it's crazy seven bedrooms like five bath why do they need so many bathrooms <laughs> i never understood that anyway just to give you some perspective this is the empire state building one of the high, high rises we we know well skyscrapers we know well Truth is, the last kind of ability to have anybody live anywhere in the skyscrapers right around here. So this is technically 100 feet taller. Now, this is where this gets crazy. 
This building is built on a plot of land that is 90 feet square. So that's not 90 square feet, but 90 feet square. My sister, who's an architect, helped me with this. Or not an architect, a builder. She helped me with this one. She builds uh, cities. Anyway, a 90-foot square building. <laughs> a lot. This is a modern marvel. Just to give you some context, the Empire State Building was built on 420 feet square. This is like several city blocks. Conventional thinking and engineering would say if you want to build tall, you have to build wide. Well, I mean, just be honest, the real estate in Manhattan's out of control. The real estate in, down, uh, in uptown Charlotte is out of control. So engineers had to figure out how to build high with a small footprint. You know what they figured out? If conventional thinking is you have to build wide to build up, New engineering has learned if you want to build high, you have to build flexible. The top of this building will sway somewhere in the range to three and a half to four feet. See, the enemies of skyscrapers are winds. And they have done some incredible things to counterbalance the way that the wind affects this building. One of the research, uh, one of the studies that I did, uh, they, they talked about concrete and how we shouldn't call concrete concrete anymore because the concrete used to build this building is totally different than the concrete used to build this building. And there's two major kind of thoughts is that the chemical makeup of this concrete is A, to be stronger and B, to be more flexible. Maybe God knew what he was doing. And what we consider to be a weakness of the church, God always knew as the strength of the church. That our flexibility, listen, not that we are moving off the cornerstone. We're already established on the cornerstone. But our flexibility allows us to bend and shift with culture as the winds of change happen. But our center is on the cornerstone. Hear me. Companies crumble because they don't know how to be flexible. Countries collapse because they don't know how to be flexible. But the church of God is always stand because that thing that so many of us have a tendency of pointing out as a failure of the church is the vehicle by which God uses to keep the church flexible. You and I, in our brokenness, in our humanity, that we are this collective of living stones. I know it's tough because for some of you, you've seen the brokenness in others and it's caused some bitterness and resentment in you, but can I just tell you that he sees our brokenness and he sees beauty. He sees beauty. It's not just the building materials that are critical in flexibility, but the bonding agents. Like it's one thing to have a building that's built with a bunch of flexible material, but in order for that building to be flexible, it, it also needs a bonding agent that's flexible. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, I, I think we see what God uses to keep us all together. It says this, make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit. It's the spirit of God that keeps us connected. The reason that this is so important is because, well, honestly, there's a lot of things that we're tempted to unite over. Like, and not all these things are bad. I think there's something in our nature that trends to connect us in commonality. So, you know, when I was 20 years old and I had no kids, 
Me and my wife hung out with couples who could stay out till six, you know, seven and eight o'clock at night to start a movie. And then we were there till 11 o'clock at night. And, we, and I'm 42 years old with two eight-year-olds. Like my day stops at six. <laughs> we're watching Netflix. Once the boys go to bed at like 7, 30, 8 o'clock, and I'm like, my eyes are closing when normally I had just started my night. So of course I'm drawn to people who kind of navigate in the same place that I navigate. But have you noticed that as seasons change, not all those same people stick around. That unity is frail. And the frailty of that unity makes it really difficult because they start walking through distances, and it's not even all negative, but they start walking through different seasons. We had friends who, who had children a lot earlier than we did. We had some friends that had children a lot later than we did. And it just, it does, it's not the same. Like the unity's not the same. So even in our commonalities, it's just a bad bonding agent because as it changes. I mean, sometimes that, that commonality is, is like racial, racially motivated. They still say that Sunday morning's the most segregated time of the week for most people. That churches are all formed because everybody looks like me, acts like me, talks like me. It's a challenge that we've had for generations. It's not just commonalities, but sometimes it's relationships that bond us together. And that's great until the context of the relationship changes. Sometimes it's circumstances that drive us together. But then when the circumstances change or, or that life issue kind of fades, well, that bond is broken. What's absolutely critical to a church that's beautiful before the eyes of God is that not only we honor the cornerstone, not only we celebrate our flexibility, but we also remember that what bonds us together is the spirit of God. That ultimately, and I, and I love this statement, what ties us together has nothing to do with us and everything to do with his spirit in and through us. Now, I'm just going to tell you, um, this, this is not my last sermon at CFA. It's not my last time on this pulpit. Um, that me and uh, Pastor Doug have talked quite a bit, and um, that's just an exciting part of this for me. But if this was my last message... I would have to spend a moment and honor this collection of living stones because guided by the Spirit of God, you, you brought my wife and I in like family. It was a little bit over 12 years ago, and we were sitting right behind where Pastor Marvel is sitting now, and um, we had come from Thanksgiving because my mother-in-law moved here before we did, and we came for Thanksgiving, and... Um, after Pastor uh, Rick got done preaching, he came off the stage, walked over to us, and like, hey, have you seen the youth, new youth facility? He was kind of bragging. I'm like, no, haven't seen it. You're trying, <laughs> trying to guard my heart against jealousy. No, um, I said, no, I haven't seen it. He's like, well, you want to see it. It's incredible. Pastor Doug did a phenomenal job. You want to go over there. Anna, would you take him across the street? And Jess and I were walking through the youth facility, and my wife looked over at me and said, are you jealous? See, at this point, I was a youth pastor in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I mean, it's a long way. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not jealous. I, I coined the phrase that I said, this is the house that Doug built. And I'm just praying now for an anointing to fill that house for Doug. And she was like, oh, okay. We didn't think much about it. About a year and a half later, I got a phone call from uh, Dr. Rick Ross, and he asked me to come up. And he was, just wanted to, me to see what was happening in Concord. And he was asking if I would consider being the next youth pastor. God had stirred Dr. Douglas Witherup's heart, and he had moved into a district role and also served as an executive for CFA. 
And now that position was open. And I'm just going to tell you, um, there was no question on whether or not this church loved teenagers. I always told my wife, if I was going to go anywhere else, I need a church that loves teenagers. I don't like this, you know, glorified childcare. Like, uh, we're, we're going to go in. We, we want to see kids saved and changed and transformed and discipled. And um, I didn't have to ask that question because your love manifests itself through generosity. There's not a lot of churches building a multi-million dollar facility dedicated to youth. And so that box was checked. I knew I had to find a church where uh, the lead pastor was a visionary that I could get behind and Pastor Rick in instantly, like, checked that box. And, like, he checked it for me and didn't ask me questions. So, if you know, <laughs> Dr. Rick and Susan, who are incredible uh, mentors in my life. But the other question that was really important for me was how we would be accepted as family. Can I just be honest? I started hearing some people tell me, hey, North Carolina is really sweet on the outside, but it's really tough to get on the inside. That they will, you know, precious baby Jesus all day long, but really it's tough to get in, like they're not going to accept you. And I'm here to tell you that 12 years later, that was never an issue. You check that box immediately. We always felt like family. You always made me feel like I was home. And it wasn't just me. I can point to countless staff members. I can point to countless people who walked through these back doors 10 years ago, five years ago, five minutes ago, and you have opened your heart like this, that this collection of living stones has always been a church that's loved and brought people in. If this was my last message here, but it's not, I'd have to spend a moment and honor this collection of living stones for entrusting us with your children for over 10 years. I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I know this might change one day, but right now, still, the title that I've, that I've held the dearest to my heart is when kids call me youth pastor. I don't know why, but your kids, for the last 10 years, you've entrusted them to us, and we've partnered alongside of you, and it's not always been easy, and they're not all these incredible stories, but I'm telling you today, after I get done with this service, I'm going to go home, kiss my kids, jump back on the road because I have to do a wedding for two kids that met in our youth ministry. It's been a joy of my heart. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to let them come on Wednesday. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't have to invest time and finances. You didn't have to do that, but you did. And I want to make sure that I honor you. If this was my last message, but it's not, but if it was, I need to honor you as a collection of living stones because you have literally formed my family. For those of you who don't know, I have two eight-year-old boys who are adopted. We adopted them at a birth. When the phone call came, we literally, it's just a, a theme of my life. We had less than six weeks before the phone call and their delivery, and they were asking us whether or not we had any chance of adopting these kids. And honestly, my first answer was no, I had nothing in the bank. But this collection of living stones, this collection of living stones not only told me you loved me, not only was willing to share with meals and your children, not only accepted me and my wife in wholeheartedly, you gave. I tell people all across the country, this is the most generous collection of stones I have ever seen. You gave. You literally formed 
my family if this was my last message, like here, but it's not. I would have to spend a moment telling you how much it means to me. And we didn't always look the same. We didn't always agree. We didn't all come from the same backgrounds or the same political persuasions or the same ethnic backgrounds or the same cultural implications. And yet, because of the Spirit of God in and through you, we became a part of this collection of living stones because you made a place for us. But since this isn't my last message, because of the grace and sovereignty of God, He has saw it fit that the next season of my life will be spent over this incredible city of Charlotte, North Carolina. Because this isn't my last message. I just, I'm in absolute just joy that says I get to not only do ministry at a different level, I get to do it alongside a group of people I love. Charlotte is the fastest growing metropolitan city in our country. It's, it's in the last 10 years grown faster than all of them. And what I've learned is that that population of people is hungry. They're desperate for a living collection of stones that God will build to further his kingdom. So I'm going to ask you to do something that is so unspiritual. But maybe there's something in your heart that's jumping like Maya's when you think about the Queen City. And you've seen its skyline and thought maybe one day God would call me to play a role in ministry. But we're going to pop a cell phone number up on the screen. I'm going to ask you even now to take out your cell phones. It's okay. The pastor's telling you to take out your cell phone. And if you're interested in joining us, Dr. Doug Witherup has completely said, John, let's go fishing. Let's see if there's some families who would be willing to partner with us in Charlotte to join an already established collection of beautiful stones. Got a chance for the last six weeks to work alongside Center City and to see what God is doing down there. And it's absolutely incredible. It speaks so much of the DNA that CFA, so much of my heart. It's incredible. We would love for you to be a part of that. All you need to do is text message your full name to this phone number, and we will get up with you in the next couple weeks about some meetings we'll have on how exactly we can partner together. I'm believing that God is going to do something incredible as we continue to love Jesus and change the world. Would you stand all across the place? And I'd like to end our time in a prayer of commitment. This is normally the, the, the time where I would have you um, hold hands, but uh, Dr. Doug and actually Steve Pargett have, um, you know, scared me away from the sticky hand holding thing. Um, so we won't do that. But normally when we get to these moments, we tell you to bow your heads and close your eyes so that you can have a moment of isolation in your heart. And that's powerful and great. But what I want you to do is just look around a little bit. Because collectively, this is the heart of God. That us, the living stones, you and I, yeah, in all of our imperfections, with, with all of our flaws, with the people in the room who are like former drug addicts and former, former adulterers. There's people in this room that have lost money because of bad decisions, that have lost years because of bad decisions. There's people in this room that are still struggling to try to work it out. But yet what we read in this passage is that the living stones that God is choosing is the dwelling.
dwelling place for the Lord on high. He is dwelling in the middle of this all. And I just believe he's not done building his church. So I want to pray a prayer of commitment alongside you. That again, we would believe that this would be the greatest year of evangelism at Cabarrus County and now Mecklenburg and Davidson will ever see as we continue to love Jesus and change the world. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this incredible team. It's amazing, Father, what you're doing as you stack these living stones. In our frailty, Father, it seems like we may bend and shift, but if the cornerstone is you and we're united by the Spirit of God, Lord, the swaying only makes us more uniquely prepared for the culture that's coming as the winds of change shift, God. We may move a little, but we're not coming off our central cornerstone. That's you. We commit to be your beautiful bride. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.